Tales from the Rep Morgue is presented by Malone University. Delirious from the flu, two-year-old Mary Rizzo tossed and rolled in her crib at the Red Cross Emergency Hospital. White-robed nurses stood around the little girl. They couldn't do much more than try to keep her comfortable as she fought the Spanish influenza. The disease had destroyed young Mary's family. Her mother was dead. Her father was dying. Mary's three-year-old brother Frank was on the cot to her right. He looked as if he would survive the flu. Her sisters Jenny, 10, and Daisy, 12, were on cots to Mary's left. Their prognosis was grim. Scant hope is entertained for the recovery of the pretty Italian girls, the repository reported on October 29, 1918. The flu pandemic would kill four members of the Rizzo family and forever alter life for their survivors. Welcome to Tales from the Rep Morgue, the podcast where we explore the Canton Repository's 200-year-old archive. I'm your host, Shane Hoover. In the third episode of our podcast on the flu pandemic of 1918 and 1919, we'll look at the lasting impact the disease had on survivors and the key role the Red Cross played in fighting the Spanish influenza. Part 1. We Must Have Nurses Medical care in the early 1900s generally happened at home. You called the doctor, and he made a house call. Canton had four hospitals in 1918, but they couldn't handle all the patients when the flu hit. On October 20th, with at least 2,000 flu cases in the city, the Red Cross opened an emergency hospital in an empty building that had housed the Catholic Club. The building stood in the 300 block of 6th Street Northwest, on the current site of the Metropolitan Center. A large number of applicants were waiting for admission when the hospital opened, the newspaper reported. Canton's Red Cross chapter had formed a year earlier, before the United States entered the First World War. The chapter's work included making bandages and other supplies and running a daycare for children whose fathers were in the military and whose mothers were working. When the flu started to hit military bases in the fall of 1918, the Red Cross sent local doctors and nurses to an army camp in Kentucky. At home, volunteers handed out booklets on how to avoid the flu. Lenore X-Line led the local Red Cross nurses. X-Line, who was in her early 40s, had moved to Canton some 20 years earlier with her husband, Dr. Clarence X-Line. When the flu hit, Clarence was in the military and stationed at Camp Taylor, Kentucky. Lenore volunteered at home with the Red Cross. She organized nurses for the emergency hospital and dispatched them to homes across the city. The Red Cross hospital opened with 21 beds, but sick patients filled them within hours. The Red Cross hurried to expand the hospital. Orderlies arranged row after row of iron beds donated by the public in the building's empty gymnasium. Nurses and nuns roamed the wards, doing what they could to help the sick. It was a difficult job, says Kim Kenny, assistant director and curator of the McKinley Presidential Library and Museum. 
Psychologically, it's very difficult for people in the healthcare profession because their job is to save people and there wasn't a whole lot they could do. Um, hospital beds were, you know, impossible to come by and they were sort of, you know, calling the undertaker to free up beds. Um, so psychologically, it was very difficult for the nation as well because we had kind of had this kind of um, haughty attitude that we had triumphed over disease because we had discovered um, germ theory. We kind of knew a little bit to control some things. We had some vaccinations for other types of illnesses. And so when this hit, it was very difficult for the scientific community, but also for just lay people because it was like, well, we're beyond this. We, we can't have a disease that's going to kill people. We, we understand how all this works, but um, we didn't know so much that we know now. Nurses and orderlies worked around the clock, sometimes in 24-hour shifts with little sleep. Good intentions didn't make them immune to the disease they were fighting. There have been a number of cases in which nurses from the hospital have been sent into the homes of citizens suffering from the disease and then themselves were taken ill and returned to the hospital as a patient. Joseph H. Himes, Canton Red Cross Chairman. To avoid discouraging patients, some nurses even removed their protective masks. The masks didn't do much to prevent the spread of flu, but the nurses didn't know that. By the end of October... The hospital had beds for 100 patients and was sending nurses into homes across the city. But the flu showed no sign of letting up. Canton was averaging more than 200 new flu cases a day. Lenore X-Line and the Red Cross were running out of nurses. I must have nurses to care for these families. In some instances, the mother is dead and there are five small children who are all ill with the disease and no one to care for them. Unless I have help at once, there will be conditions here that will be hard to control. I have used up my complete list of practical nurses in the city and am now calling for anyone who is willing to go into a home to help. No practical experience is necessary. Lenore X-Line, Red Cross. Part 2, when we come back. Malone University is proud to be Canton's university with more than 50 programs that lead to careers in all fields. Finish your degree or earn your advanced degree through our adult programs. Find out more at www.malone.edu. Part 2. The Rizzo's of 12th Street. The Spanish influenza was unusually deadly for adults ages 20 to 40. One of the consequences was a growing number of children whose parents had died or were incapacitated by the flu. If mothers could only see the sweet children that are up there now, I feel sure they would be willing to go up and help. Lenore X-Line, Canton Red Cross. In late October, the repository reported on some of those children in the Red Cross Hospital including members of the Rizzo family. The Rizzos lived at 603 12th Street Southeast, in the heart of Canton's Italian neighborhood, one of the so-called foreign districts that preoccupied health officials, even though people caught the flu throughout the city. Nearly four out of ten Cantonians were immigrants or the children of an immigrant at the time. Italians were the largest group, followed by Greeks, Germans, and Austrians. Ralph and Francis Rizzo had both emigrated from Italy, and both died in the pandemic. So did two of their seven children. 
Daisy died a couple of days after her parents. Frank succumbed to illness more than a week later, on the final day of World War I. Their parents dead, the five surviving Rizzo children were split up. The two oldest children were adopted. Jenny went to live with the Majoris, who ran a market in Canton. Her brother Albert was adopted by the Fisher family, who had a farm near East Canton. Both were old enough to work to help their new families. The three youngest children, Mary, her brother Pat, and their sister Frances, went to live with their maternal grandparents and later an uncle. Mary's son, Bill Homan, grew up in Louisville and now lives in Marietta. He says his mother never talked much about the flu. She uh, said practically nothing about it. As a matter of fact, I think she wanted to forget about it. Because of the flu, Homan barely knew people on the Rizzo side of his family. Yeah, well, it sort of disrupted everything, of course. And uh, <clears throat> you got to understand, their mother was only 34 years old when she died, and she had already had seven children, so you can only imagine how many more she would have had had she lived. The surviving Rizzo children stayed in contact to varying degrees, but the family was never close. Patty Grizzay is the daughter of Pat Rizzo and Homan's cousin. She said her father kept in touch with his brother Al, but didn't reconnect with his sister Jenny until about 30 years after the flu. How they finally made contact was when my mom and dad were married, my dad got paid, and my mother used to go to the market, the majority's market, and she would buy groceries and cash, her, cash their paycheck. And one day when the lady that checked them out saw the paycheck, she said, um, are you related to Pat Rizzo? And she said, yes, I'm his wife. And she said, well, I'm Jenny, I'm his sister. And that's when my mother first knew that my dad had a sister in Canton. They never, she never knew where his sister had gone. The reunion was brief. Uh, he went in and he met her, you know, and he, but of course there were so many years in between that they, you know, they had nothing in common. And I, I was kind of shocked that they didn't keep connected, but apparently they both had their own lives and their own families and they, they didn't have a closeness. His other two younger sisters, uh, like I said, we, we did see them and we were, you know, we were there for important times of their life. Patty Grizet wishes she knew more about her father's family. I asked my dad one time, I said, do you ever remember living at home, like with your whole family? Do you remember your mom and dad and your whole family? And he said no. And some of it, I think, is the traumatic experience of, you know, losing your whole family. You know, you're losing a family like that. I think probably some of it was blocked out with him. Part three, when we come back. Malone University is proud to be Canton's university with more than 50 programs that lead to careers in all fields. Finish your degree or earn your advanced degree through our adult programs. Find out more at www.malone.edu. Part 3. The Wind Down. By mid-November, more than 200 flu victims had died in five weeks, and another 8,000 had fallen sick in Canton but the disease seemed to be weakening, even after crowds thronged Market Square to celebrate the armistice. 
Dr. Charles Lamont, city health officer, urged caution. The general public cannot be sufficiently cautious in avoiding exposure. In every crowd, there are probably one or two persons suffering from a mild form of the disease and exposing others. Dr. Charles Lamont. Around the beginning of December, the city loosened its restrictions and apologized for imposing a flu ban on businesses. A health board analysis of flu cases showed the mills and factories that powered Canton's economy and the war effort had been the chief source of the flu's spread, the repository reported. The city reimbursed 14 saloon keepers who closed during the pandemic, provided they hadn't sold liquor during the ban. The most that any saloon keeper got was $140.11 for being closed 51 days, a little more than $2,100 in today's money. The Red Cross closed its hospital and demobilized its 200 nurses in December 1918. The Canton chapter had cared for 4,000 patients during the pandemic, and at least 500 patients had passed through the hospital. Dr. Lamont declared the flu situation no longer serious at the end of January. Even though 63 people had died from the flu and 14 others from pneumonia that month. The disease now is in a much milder form, and it seems to have spent much of its force. I also believe that people are taking much better care of themselves. Dr. Charles Lamont. The flu would continue to kill into 1919 and 1920, but the worst was over. Thanks for listening to the Rep Morgue Podcast, and special thanks to our voice talent for this episode. Dave Manley, Kelly Byer, and Ed Pritchard. Our theme music is Blind by Maidon. You can check out the show notes and listen to other podcasts at cantonrep.com. Next time on Tales from the Rep Morgue, presented by Malone University. Uh, flu virus changes very, very quickly. And um, uh, we are on the edge, we can be on the edge of another pandemic at any kind of, at any significant shift of these flu viruses.